morning. Court Radio is now in session. Call 215-227-2727. When you've got legal questions, we've got the answers. This is Court Radio. And now here's your host, Dean Weitzman. That's right. I'm here in the weather as it was. Uh, weather? Was there weather? There was. Yeah. We uh, had weather? We had weather. Um, <laughs> we always have weather, right? Yes, yes. yes. There you go. I hear you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, but it is a beautiful, sunny Saturday, and uh, we are all in the studio live and in person. I am Dean Weitzman, joined by the firm, the one and only Manny Manuel Glenn. Good morning. Eric Tactics Jackson. Good morning, part two. And even have her lovely personage here, Sarah O. Good morning. We're here, folks. If you've got a legal issue or question, you give us a call at 215-227-2727 because every Saturday morning, Court Radio is brought to you here in the studios of 100.3 WRNB and Classics 107.9. There you go, folks. We're here. We're live. We're in the studio. Give us a call, 215-227-2727. How about those eagles? <laughs> That's good. That's good. You, you. How about Joel and beating the Sixers last night? Again, a great night. Yes. Took out uh, the Magic, as they should have. Maxie and MB combining for over 30 points apiece again. Number one duel in basketball right now. Yeah. Yes. All right. They're, they're, they're something to watch. They right? are. Getting back to those Eagles. <laughs> Next what subject. What in Jason Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is he going to retire? Would you? Uh, 13 seasons, all with the same team. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's got a couple. Um, I mean, if he's got some he's other got, irons in the fire, you he's know. He's got a couple endorsements, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, How so. long does that last before you wind up like Gronk? I mean, is he going to? Is that where he's headed? Uh, he could. He's he. You know, you recall that speech he gave for the uh, oh. Super Bowl was uh, that's, just that win. That's to never that's, have to pay for a beer again in for your life. Yeah, that's Philly history. Yeah, man. So yeah. the the man can present well, um, and so we we will have him on court radio shortly. Uh, yeah. Really? How yeah. about those Eagles? Yeah, how about them? But he's he's a, a legend in Philadelphia, and I think he'll handle himself well if he chooses to go uh, on the air as a uh, radio person or as a uh, TV person. He will be this era's Bill Berge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Maybe even more polished and better. Bill yeah. was so busy selling Jeeps that, uh, you know, he, he wasn't all that interested in in uh, advertising himself. He says something wise. At the moment he's coming off the field, you're emotional. That that really is not the time to make that decision. True. Right? Right? That's to be real. He says, I I owe it to the team, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he's waiting to see what's going to filter out going forward to decide, do we still have a shot? Is it worth it to me? Before he makes that decision. So I I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, we, we don't. We don't. We'll see. Mm-hmm. In any event, let's get on to the court radio show here because we have an action-packed show requested by a listener, um, and we try to adhere to our listeners' requests at all times. Um, this show today is on nursing home neglect. 
That's right. If you've not been cared for properly in the nursing home or a family member, can you bring an action against the oftentimes these days corporation who's running the nursing home to recover damages that you've incurred bodily injuries while um, in the care and custody and control of the nursing home and to discuss this topic we've brought on an expert in the legal field the one and only dan claproth good morning dean Great to be here with you. Thank you, Dan. Step right up to that microphone. And um, Dan is with the firm of Feldman Shepard in Philadelphia. He represents individuals and families in all manners of litigation involving catastrophic personal injury. But specifically, we're talking about nursing home neglect and abuse. He spent his first six years of his career specializing in cases involving nursing home neglect and abuse. He's recovered millions of dollars on behalf of injured parties. This is an area where attorneys do focus their practice. Um, what brought you to nursing home? How did you get into this? Sure. Um, well, I, after graduating law school, I accepted a position with a law firm uh, that was a national firm that uh, predominantly handled cases involving nursing home neglect and abuse. Um, I was in the Philadelphia office, but we handled cases all over Pennsylvania and uh, really all over the country. What, what, when we're looking at these types of cases, what do you look for to be a case that has merit? What, what's the elements of a meritorious nursing home neglect case? Sure. These cases are unique. Uh, a lot of people assume that they are uh, the same as a medical malpractice case. And there certainly is a uh, medical malpractice component, uh, but what makes these cases a little bit different is there's also a uh, corporate negligence component. Uh, a lot of times in these cases, uh, what we see is that uh, the injuries are, are not only from uh, poor care, uh, but that the injuries can also be uh, attributed to the way that the nursing facility was run. Uh, one of the, the major issues uh, is understaffing. Uh, and so that's something that we, we always look at in these cases to see whether the facility was adequately staffed, uh, both in number uh, and with competent personnel. Um, because uh, oftentimes, if the facility is not properly staffed, you're going to see uh, residents not getting uh, the basic care that they require. How, to that point, how many residents should a staff member be responsible for? And are these licensed um, staff members or are these non-licensed staff members? How is that determined? Sure. Uh, well, you're typically, you're going to have uh, nurses, RNs, and LPNs, uh, mostly uh, LPNs that are going to be the ones making the rounds, providing the treatment. Uh, but you're also going to have a lot of uh, certified nursing assistants uh, or CNAs. Um, and the CNAs are really on the front line. Um, you know, they're the ones that are, um, you know, providing the resident with assistance with uh, activities of daily living, making sure that they're bathed, making sure that, uh, you know, that they receive uh, their food and uh, their, you know, water. Um, so they're really the ones on the, on the front line. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to, 
to really say exactly, you know, uh, what, uh, how many residents they should have, because oftentimes it really depends on the condition of the residents as well. Um, so you really have to look at the, the acuity uh, or the condition of the residents that they're providing care for, uh, because certain residents, uh, you know, might require more care and attention than others. Now, <clears throat> Mama Weitzman is in a nursing home. Um, she's got, uh, you know, she, she asked me for, uh, a cell phone. So she, she got an Apple iPhone back in the day when, you know, we had like iPhone threes or fours mm. and, um, within a few days, the, the iPhone was gone. It was missing. Um, and she had money taken, things like that. Is that a claim that somebody would want to bring against a nursing home if they lost property? Sure. You know, and, and I think the difficulty there is that um, when you're dealing with theft and loss, uh, it, you might have a difficult time finding an attorney willing to take on the case because uh, the cost of retaining the attorney might ultimately exceed, you know, the damages in the case. Um, but that is all too common. Um, you know, we see that uh, pretty frequently, um, you know, in cases and, you know, it's uh, something that you shouldn't have to worry about when you're uh, admitting your loved one to a nursing home. Um, you know, so there are some steps that you can take. Um, you know, a- as a nursing home resident, you do have a, a right to uh, a safe, home-like environment. Uh, you have a right to furnish your room so that it's comfortable and feels like home. Um, and so what I would suggest is that uh, you, you know, keep an inventory of any um, valuables that you uh, are bringing into the facility. Um, Make the facility, uh, you know, sign off on that. Um, You know, make sure that they have a copy and that you have a copy, Um, you know, and to the extent possible, you know, you want to make sure that you're taking steps to safeguard your property. But that unto itself, folks, is not going to be a claim. It's like having a a motor vehicle accident and not sustaining any uh, bodily injuries, but saying, you know, uh, I almost, I could have died. I could have. Um, while that could be a very scary situation, um, you'll find it difficult to retain counsel to pursue that claim unless there's more meat on those bones. But can you do a small claims uh, on that against the uh, nursing home? As as you know, as I've told people for many years, you can always bring a small claims complaint. If you want to represent yourself and you've lost your iPhone and believe that the nursing home is responsible for that theft, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get you're not going to get uh, an attorney to uh, right. undertake that that challenge for you. I would have to think. I hate to be cynical, but I would, if you brought about a suit like that and you, and you lost. The staff's not going to be too friendly after that. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not all of those things. And, you know, that's the kind of decision you have to make when you're you're bringing a claim. A lot of times folks want to bring an employment claim against their employer for something uh, of that ilk. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not following the rules. They didn't um, give me my day off that I was supposed to have off. They made me come in. And, yeah, you may have a rule violation, but not every rule violation is worthy of bringing a, uh, a legal matter because mm. you're going to burn some bridges. Yeah. How about the documents that the, fa- you know, when you walk into a nursing home, you don't just roll in and, and 
bring bring your your personal belongings. There's contract after contract after contract that you're signing. Folks don't even know what they're signing, but some of those contracts have conditions in there that may make bringing an action harder. What are those terms and how effective are they? Yeah, and so um, what you're referring to is an arbitration agreement, uh, and that is uh, very, very common uh, in the nursing home industry. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when you're admitting somebody to a nursing home, you know, it, it's, it's a stress-laden event. Uh, you're only concerned about getting that person the care that they need. And unfortunately, within the large stack of admission documents that are presented to you uh, or to the resident or their representative, there's oftentimes a, an arbitration agreement. And uh, that what that does is it essentially uh, gives by signing that you're giving up your right to a jury trial. And, uh, you know, that can have a, a huge effect on the outcome of your case. And, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time uh, challenging arbitration agreements, both at the trial court and in the appellate courts. And, uh, you know, um, so that's something that your listeners should absolutely be aware of that, you know, if you're admitting somebody to a nursing home, uh, read the documents carefully and look out for any sort of document uh, that states that you're giving up your right to a jury trial. Uh, Are they binding? You know, the... As a general matter, arbitration agreements, uh, you know, are favored, and so it's it's difficult to challenge them. Um, you know, oftentimes we're challenging them based on uh, unconscionability that you know presenting this type of document to this person in this condition is just unconscionable. Um, sometimes the the difficulty you have there is that. Uh, in order to uh, have a finding of unconscionability, you also have to have, uh, there's two components, procedural unconscionability and substantive unconscionability. Substantive unconscionability means that the terms of the agreement have to be one-sided. And so that's oftentimes where you run into trouble. Um, You know, the court might find, well, yeah, uh, this was procedurally unconscionable in the way that it was presented to this person, uh, but I do I don't find that the terms are so one-sided that it should not be enforced. And when that happens, where's your dispute heard? So at, at, and do you take and, and are those cases that you still take? So uh, yes, um, it really depends on the law firm. I, you know I know a lot of firms uh, will not uh, accept a case if there's an arbitration agreement. Uh, so it really can, these agreements can have uh, a chilling effect and significantly impact injured nursing home residents' ability to retain counsel or find counsel. Um, so, yes, it's, uh, it can be challenging. Hmm. Do you have to sign them? No, uh, you do not. Um, the, uh, recently, they passed some regulations that um, speak to uh, nurse uh, arbitration agreements in the nursing home context, and there are some requirements. Uh, it has to be voluntary. Um, it has to state in clear language that it uh, is not necessary as a condition of admission to the facility. Um, so, you know, the the problem is, as you touched on earlier, though, is that oftentimes uh, these agreements are sort of slipped into a large stack of papers, many of which are necessary uh, for admission to the facility. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's a difficult situation, but you really have to try to make a point of 
you know, reading the, the documents that are presented to you. Be on the lookout, folks, because they're in those documents. Almost always they're going to try to slip that in. And so, you know, if you're looking for one thing in all the documents, you want to just directly ask, is there an arbitration agreement in here? If there is, I don't want to sign it. Um, you know, it seems to me that if they don't have the language that says it's not mandatory, then it would be procedurally unconscionable at that point. Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, again, you might have some difficulty with uh, the substantive component. Um, but, yes, that would certainly go to the procedural unconscionability. Because, you know, that's signing something under duress. It could be, could and, be. or it could mm -hmm. be under fraud. I mean, if right. they literally, you know, put a paper in front of you and put some other papers on top of it and you just had a signature line and they didn't give you a chance to read the paper, there, there could be an Is allegation of fraud. Is it still paper fraud. these days? Are they looking at computers and laptops and asked to sign something on a, a iPod or a phone and it's, right, it's yeah. small, you can't see, and you're glad? I mean, is it even there? Yeah, are those, they printing stuff out? Yeah, yeah probably not. All right. Probably yeah. not. 215 227 2727. We're talking to Dan Klaproth about, about nursing home neglect. And it's something, I guess, nowadays that almost every family has to face. Well, I keep thinking about how the home health care industry has affected nursing homes now, the nursing home industry, and neglect and abuse, and what you do. How has that has it changed any now that this other industry has seemingly begun to rise? Yeah, you know, I think there is a, a shift towards, uh, you know, uh, allowing, um, you know, uh, older adults to remain in their house and to receive care in home, um, you know, but that's not always an option for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of times it can depend on your insurance and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, oftentimes it, it's just, uh, you know, people are left with the uh, choice of, you know, trying to do it themselves, which is not feasible, feasible, uh, or, you know, having to uh, select a nursing home. A lot of times, it's, yeah, it's not an option. Um, and especially when we're dealing with um, folks that have mental health issues, mm. um, uh, memory issues, um, they're not able to care for themselves even for a short while in a, in a home where there's a lot of dangers lurking. You've got gas stoves and, you know, uh, other things in the home which are so dangerous to people who are not capable uh, because of a degradation in their capacity to think clearly to handle those things. Um, so you would need 24-7 care in the home. Um, and that then probably starts to become as expensive it's as very expensive. maybe even more expensive now, than going yeah. to a nursing home. Yeah. And it oftentimes comes down to a financial decision in these matters. Mm. Um, what types of injuries um, are you commonly seeing in nursing homes? So I think you, one of the most common injuries that you see are uh, pressure injuries, um, you know, often uh, – referred to as bed sores. Um, those are pretty prevalent. Um, you also see a lot of uh, injuries resulting from falls. Uh, and then you also have cases involving uh, neglect, um, you know, dehydration, um, you know, uh, urinary tract infections and, um, you know, uh, nutritional uh, issues because they're not receiving, uh, you know, uh, their nutritional needs are not being met. 
we got a caller on the line. Let's talk to Kenneth, line one. Hey, Ken, welcome to Court Radio. Hi, how you doing? Good, thanks. Tell us what you're uh, calling about. Um, first thing is, what's the statute of limitations of uh, nursing home neglect on a situation if somebody, if your you know, loved one passed away from the negligence of a nursing home? So uh, these cases um, sound in negligence. It's going to be a two-year statute of limitations, uh, you know, and that, that statute will start ticking from the date of injury. Uh, if it's a case involving wrongful death, uh, the statute will uh, start from the, the date of death. Okay. Well, I definitely received it. Like you said, urinary tract infection. That's what my mom, negligence from the nursing home was urinary tract infection, but it's been over two years, so. Yeah, um, unfortunately, um, that will keep you out of a courtroom in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Uh, in Delaware, it may be a three-year statute of limitations that you're entitled to, and other parts of the country, that changes. So, But definitely, Pennsylvania and New Jersey have a two-year statute of limitations, and it's a hard two-year statute of limitations from the date of death. Uh, on non-death cases, sometimes the discovery rule can come to play, which may delay the statute of limitations if you didn't have a reason to know that there was negligence committed until, in fact, you did know. Um, so, you know, you should always seek the advice of an attorney, um, but generally speaking... Um, from the date of death, it's two years here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Um, and I'm, I'm presuming that, that that time limit had expired. Um, when your mom passed away, Ken, did you seek the advice of an attorney? I had, a, I had an attorney. The attorney uh, said he was investigating Actually, nine months went by, and then he decided to drop the case. So I asked him, why you waste my time? I could have sought, um, seek other counsel rather than you waste my time, and then you threw my case to the side. Yeah, that's that, unfortunately. And, and nine months is a long time to waste um, in a matter such as this because every moment counts in the collecting of records, which takes time. And in order to evaluate the case, we need to have the records to do that. Um, getting rec Ken, I want to thank you for calling Court Radio, sir. Um, is there anything else yeah. we can do before I move on in the subject matter? No, the time is last. I just thought, you know, maybe, maybe you know, it would have been a longer period of time for statute of limitation, but it wasn't because it's been four years now. I appreciate you, Ken, for being a listener to Court Radio. Have a great Saturday. All right, thank you. How long does it take, Dan, to get these records? I mean, and do they try to play with you to not give you the real records that you need to evaluate the case? Yeah, you know, it can be difficult, and it really depends uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, I've had cases where I've had a lot of difficulty uh, with the facility uh, providing the records, um, you know, I've had other instances where you get the records right away. Um, so it, it really depends. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it does take more time than you would like if uh, they're delaying providing the records. And sometimes you have to, you know, file a writ and uh, seek pre-complaint discovery and, and go that route.
Yeah, I, I have found that, um, uh, you know, nursing homes especially, I don't know why that is, but when you're, you're requesting records from the nursing home. Now, this is all pre-lawsuit, right? You're, you have not filed a lawsuit. You do not have the subpoena power of the court per se. Um, you're simply making a request for records. And they're, they're very experienced. Nursing homes, like hospitals, are very experienced at um, making that process arduous at times. Um, and, and to the point where you may have to uh, file a complaint in order to get the subpoena power of the courts um, before you'd like to do that. Why do you think they make it arduous? They make it difficult. Because they know what's coming. They know down what's the pike. coming. They know what's coming. And and especially in a meritorious case, that you know, in a non-meritorious case, they may provide you the records rather quickly. Mm. But if they feel like there's exposure, they will um, they will game the system to the best of their ability. That's why it's so important to have an experienced attorney to represent you in these matters. They not that. And not that attorney that not he had. Not the attorney that he had. You <laughs> yeah. know, there are matters where, you know, um, the quality of counsel is not as critical as it is in other matters. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, having been an attorney now for 36 years, nursing home neglect is not a case you want to turn over to somebody who doesn't have extensive experience in that area of the law. Mm. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that's not just because he's a, n- <laughs> a nursing home neglect attorney. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, what I'd like to hear from you is give us, describe for us before we go to our first break, describe for us the um, a, a case you've had that has had merit, that had a an outcome that you're proud of, um, that you were able to make a change in this area. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, you know, one example would be uh, I've had a case involving. And listen, I understand that confidentiality is often baked into an outcome. I'm not asking for names. I'm not asking for you to identify parties, but just tell us the facts of one of these cases. Sure. Um, You know, I had a case um, involving a facility uh, where uh, the family was very involved. They were great advocates. Uh, but it didn't seem to matter. Uh, this person uh, was identified as a fall risk, um, and the facility uh, put a care plan in place to address that risk, uh, but didn't follow it. Um, you know, and so they essentially were identifying what they needed to do to protect this person, but at the same time, they were not doing it. And you know, it started with one fall with you know minor injuries. Uh, then a second fall with minor injuries. And at this point, it should have been a red flag. Uh, the facility should have seen, you know, look, we, we're not doing what we need to do to protect this person. Um, but they didn't. Uh, you know, and it, it kept happening until, uh, you know, this person had a severe fall, struck their head, uh, had a subdural hematoma, and, uh, you know, uh, did not pass away in this particular case, but it did significantly impact uh, their quality of life. You know, this is somebody that should have been uh, living out uh, the final years of their life uh, with their family. Um, you know, instead, uh, they, um, you know, uh, had a, a head injury. Um, you know, they lost their ability to ambulate. 
And, you know, um, so this is just one example. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's plenty of cases like this. What what did that case did that case resolve in favor of the family? It did. It, 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 this particular case resolved prior to trial. And for how much? <laughs> uh, that I can't uh, disclose. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to get to one that you might be able to um, just as soon as we get back from break. Folks, we're talking to Dan Klaproth. We're talking about nursing home neglect. We're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens when your loved ones are put into a nursing home and there's a lot of promises made in the front end, but they're not cared for the way you'd like and they end up injured or perhaps they pass away because of what you perceive as the wrong care, neglect by the nurses, neglect by the CNAs, neglect by the staff and the administration. They didn't listen to you and your loved ones suffered because of it what can you do to protect your family? We'll be back in two minutes. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started my Philly lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, my Philly lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call my Philly lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started my Philly lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, and this is your court radio right here on 100.3 WRMB and Classics 1079. 
And we're joined in the studio by my firm, the one and only Manny Manuel Glenn. Before you get back to our great conversation about nursing home abuse, I was just curious and wondering, as others are, latest on the hair relaxer issue and your Inquirer contest situation. I believe the Inquirer contest is wrapping up. Mm-hmm. This may be the very last day you can vote. Do tell. Um, well, first off, you got to follow me on TikTok and or Instagram. And how do they both. do that? It's at my Philly lawyer. Uh, just, you know, get on TikTok and search for at my Philly lawyer and you'll find me. And mm-hmm. the same on the gram. Um, <laughs> Listen to my man. <laughs> IG, baby. IG. But, you know, that's really where you'll get to kind of look in, peer behind the curtain of Dean Weitzman and see uh, yeah. some of the that's activities that yeah. uh, I'm involved in. That are non-law related, but I also uh, uh, will talk about law topics as well on both of those platforms. Um, and so, for both reasons, you should follow me there. And if you follow me there, then you can follow the link to the vote uh, for the Inquirer's favorites. Please do, folks, and uh, done push us over the top because you know we are your favorite. Vote early, vote often. Uh, you know, you can vote more than once. <laughs> I know. Yes. You can vote daily. Yes. Um, so, yeah, do that. Um, as far as hair relaxer goes, uh, we are still um, collecting and representing folks that are being diagnosed with cancers mm-hmm. as we speak. Um, all of the gynecological cancers, endometrial cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, these cancers are very likely caused by extended use more than four or five years of hair relaxer products. Extended use. Extended use. Those chemicals that you put in your hair to straighten your hair, those chemicals open your body up to having um, cancers that you would not have had but for their use. And if you or a family member suffers with those cancers and you've used the hair relaxer products years, four years, even if it is years ago, um, you may be eligible to receive a significant settlement um, uh, and on the use of those products for the injuries you've sustained. So please um, give us a call. I have a whole team of folks at uh, My Philly Lawyer who are ready, willing, and able to sit down and speak with you and a family member uh, about your condition and whether we can um, incorporate you into that lawsuit. Thank you, Manuel. We are back in the studio live with Dan Klaproth. Dan is an attorney at Feldman Shepherd in Philadelphia, and he is focusing his practice on nursing home neglect. It's an area of the law that, folks, if you have a need for an attorney, please give me a call in this area. Um, I'll I'll hook you up with Dan. Um, We'll look at the file as well at My Philly Lawyer um, because this is really an area that you need to have an attorney who has extensive experience fighting nursing homes. They try to play games and not give you records that you need in order to evaluate your case. We spoke to Ken earlier today who waited nine months for his attorney to only get back to him and say, I can't help you. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes, we'll know right away whether the claim has merit, right? Am I, you know, you, you can take a look very quickly. Yes, you have to back it up with the records, but 
the story told to us by the family goes a long way to establishing whether there's a claim. Maybe Ken didn't have a claim. Maybe his claim lacked merit. I don't know um, because I didn't hear all the, the details of his claim. But if you don't ha- if you don't practice in this area and you don't know what makes a claim a valid claim, then you could sit with a client for nine months and waste their time when, in fact, they never had a claim to begin with. That's the problem when you go to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing in this area. So um, the common injuries that you see in this area are what, Dan? Uh, the common injuries that you typically see in these types of cases are, uh, you know, oftentimes you see pressure injuries. Um, you know, off, uh, they're known as bed sores. Uh, that's uh, a very common injury, and that's, you know, an injury that should not occur. Uh, let that- me say this. When you're dealing with the elderly population, an injury that Manuel may incur, let's say, God forbid, he's involved in an accident, he's in the hospital and he's in bed too long, and they don't move him around and take care of it, he could get a bed sore. But he's a healthy, you know, uh, vibrant 60-something-year-old who will recover from that injury fairly unscathed. However, when you're an elderly person who have other comorbid, in, you know, issues you're dealing with, a bed sore can be a life-threatening injury, mm. or it could change the quality of your life forever. That's true. It's uh, you know, it's an injury uh, with somebody in that uh, in that population that, like like you said, is older, has comorbidities. Uh, it can set them down a path that they never come back from. Including mental issues. You could begin to lose your ability to think clearly because of a physical injury. Somebody who was able to read the newspaper, um, know their loved ones, call on their birthdays, all those things that make life rich and enjoyable for somebody can be taken away because their mental capacity will drop because of a physical injury. That's that's correct. You know, and, and oftentimes you see that with uh, a pressure injury um, because, uh, you know, if, if a resident develops a pressure injury and the facility is not treating it, if they're not keeping that person clean, if they're not regularly bathing them, uh, that wound can become infected. Uh, and that's really when you see, uh, you know, residents, um, you know, go down that path that is difficult to return from. Um, you know, because the, the infection can, you know, lead to death and, and have a significant significant impact on their well-being. 215-227-2727, the number for all things legal in Philly. If you've got a question, you've got a loved one who suffers with a an injury at a nursing home, today's the day to give us a call. 215-227-2727. Let's talk to Debbie on line one. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to Court Radio. Hi. Hi. Hi, guys. Hi, Manuel. Hi, Deb. How are you? I'm fine. And the man with all the jobs over there in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Tactics, yeah. They they got me. Hi there. Hi there. I'm good. Hi. I talked to, um, uh, I'm the one who Sarah brought this subject up for because um, I have been talking to Jay Burgers. It, my mom fell in 2019. 
All right, long story short, she's passed, and ever since then, I mean, she had difficulties beside the injury, but as as you just stated, you know, it takes over the state of mind, and they get a little depressed and whatever. But my question is this. My mother wasn't in um, in the facility to, as a long-term to live there. You know, they have these insurance plans where they send, send people from that need, like, uh, a physical therapy. That's what she was in there for, actually, physical, re- physical rehab. Why is it that these nursing homes are already short to care for the patients that's there long-term that live there? And, and they're sending out people there that they can't even watch the ones that's there. They're sending out people there. I mean, I've, I've experienced this not only just with my mother, my brother, my sister. They were they were both um, the, before the fact. My brother, before my mom died, he was in a nursing home for rehab. And since my mom died, my sister has been in a rehab for um, in a nursing home for rehab, just uh, physical rehabilitation. And it's just awful. Yeah. It's just, it's just awful. And I'm wondering why is it that. That's the thing. Why Why are these people sent to these places that barely can take care of who's already there? Great question, Deb. Stand by, and we're going to get Dan's input on it. Yeah, Deb, that's a great question. You know, and a lot of uh, nursing home residents like your mom come to the facility for rehab. A lot of times they're uh, admitted from a hospital after maybe sustaining an injury at home. And it's supposed to be, you know, short term. They're supposed to get the rehab that they need and get home to their family. Uh, but all too often in, in cases, I see that the residents never make it home. Uh, you know, what starts off as, um, you know, uh, physical therapy, uh, rehab, uh, you know, if they're not getting the care that they need, uh, before you know it, they're going to be a long term care patient there. Um, you know, when things can go downhill, um, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I think you touched on is, uh, you know, uh, facilities are oftentimes admitting residents that they're not capable of providing care to. Um, you know, maybe they don't have enough staff. Uh, if that's the case, then they should not be admitting new patients uh, or new residents, um, you know, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of uh, the negative outcomes in nursing homes uh, arise from uh, lack of uh, qualified staff, uh, not having enough staff. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have enough staff, uh, the aides are not going to be able to get around to the, the residents to provide them with the care that they need. Uh, they're not going to be able to turn and, pos- turn and reposition the residents as needed. Uh, and so a lot of issues can arise uh, from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that, that, Deb, is exactly what one of the elements that is examined when an evaluation is made on someone's claim is this place overpopulated, understaffed, inappropriately staffed for the population they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, what other question did you have, Deb? Okay, I just wanted to make clear that um, each case that I talked about, they were being discharged from the hospital and admitted to rehab. Yeah. None of none of my brother nor my sister nor my mom came from home, a home injury. Just just to clear that up. They they this is what the hospitals do. They they read they they admit them to these nursing homes.
nursing homes for rehab, rehabilitation. My like my mother, she was you know bed in the hospital for like two weeks, so she had to get reconditioned. Yeah, you know? I, I have clients. I have clients who have had the same exact experience. They've had an accident. They've fallen. They've they've sustained a, a serious fracture. They've gone from the hospital where they were for a week or two into a nursing home or rehab center where they're supposed to get rehab care, and essentially they're just bedding them there. They're not providing the care, the rehab that they need to get back on their feet and get back home again. Um, and they 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 suffered because of that independently of the accident. A lot of times <clears> – <throat> That suffering that happens at the nursing home goes back to the original case. You know, if we're representing you for a fall accident um, and you sustain bad care in a hospital, the malpractice or negligence that you sustain in the hospital or nursing home emanates from the original accident and is part of the damages we seek when we're representing you on that fall um, it's not it can be an independent case, but it does not have to be. Um, and we have to pursue first and foremost the original defendant who caused the fall to occur in the first place. Deb, thanks for calling my Philly lawyer. Thanks for calling court radio. And thank you very much for bringing this show to all of our listeners attention. Um, have a great day, Deb, and talk to you soon. Take Likewise. care, Deb. Thank you. OK, bye bye, guys. 215-227-2727, the number for all things legal in Philly. Um, when you sign up a client, okay, obviously one of the important things to do, and I want to repeat from the first half, is that you get the paperwork that they signed. That's critical. Why? Because a lot of times that paperwork has an arbitration clause in it. But, Dan... Do they have to sign the arbitration clause in order to get care? Is it a condition precedent to being admitted? It is not. At least on paper, the arbitration agreement will likely read, uh, this agreement is not a condition of admission. This uh, document does not need to be signed uh, you know, as a condition to admission to the facility. Um, but as we touched on earlier, uh, in, you know, in practice or in reality, uh, you're going to be presented with a, a whole stack of papers. Um, and you, uh, whoever's presenting them, uh, might be, you know, have multiple admissions. They might have other things they're doing. They might rush through that paperwork. Uh, they might not disclose that there's an arbitration agreement waiving your rights. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's really, uh, I know it's difficult because, uh, again, your only concern is getting your loved one into the facility, getting them the care that they need. Um, but for those of you listening, you really do have to make an effort to try to read the documents. And if you see uh, the words arbitration agreement, uh, that should raise a red flag. Um, you know, mm. if you have questions, you should, uh, you know, talk to an attorney about it. Uh, but by signing that paper, you are essentially giving up uh, your loved one's right uh, to a jury trial. Uh, and that could ultimately impact your ability uh, to find counsel uh, later on if, uh, you know, if there's a binding arbitration agreement. I just see a plethora of things opening up when things like this are handled wrong with paperwork and so if seniors. If there's one thing, folks, you've learned or take away from today's show, it's do not sign an arbitration agreement. And ask, ask for it. Ask for ask it for specifically. It. Yeah. Is there – I'm going to sign a lot of papers today – 
is there an arbitration agreement in here? Yes. Where is it? Where is it? I do not want to sign it. You don't and, have it forced upon you. Yeah, because you do not need to sign an arbitration agreement in order to get care for your loved one. They must take them with your refusing to sign that agreement. Do not give up your rights to a jury trial because it is a jury trial which will bring you the absolutely the greatest um, uh, compensation for your loved one's injury. If you're in an arbitration, you're dealing with an arbitrator who sees that nursing home over and over and over again depends upon their livelihood for that nursing home to some extent and will not take to task the nursing home to the extent that a jury will in Philadelphia or even in the suburbs. Because the facility chooses the arbitrator? It's by agreement between the parties usually. Yeah, that's correct. The agreements are all slightly different. Some agreements will incorporate a specific arbitration administrator. Uh, I've seen some agreements that incorporate a specific arbitrator. Um, you know, so you're not only losing your right to a jury trial, but you're losing your right to even, you know, select the referee or at least have any opinion on the referee potentially. All right, we're going to be back in two minutes. Um, but if you've got a legal issue or question, you can still give us a call at 215 227 2727. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Yes, 
We're back. I'm live. Dean Weitzman here, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning right here on 100.3 WRMB. And Classics 107.9. And we're in the studio with Dan Klaproth, who's an attorney in, at Feldman Shepherd and who focuses his practice on nursing home neglect. We've been talking to Dan all morning about nursing home neglect. It is a common problem. We're all heading toward nursing homes at some point. We're living longer. Better. Um, yes, we are. Yeah. We're living better. We're longer. living longer. And eventually the body breaks down. Um, not, not Manuel. He's going to be shoveling yeah. the snow I'm, at 105. I'm Captain America, pals. Yeah. Super, super, <laughs> he got the super, super serum. Super soldier. <laughs> well, I, yeah, he might be. He might be caring for me in a nursing home one day. Yeah. He would pay me quite well for that, young man. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. But in the meantime, Eat your soup, Dean. in the meantime, <laughs> we have um, we have Dan here, and um, what I wanted to f- finish up with here is that um, sometimes you know things are going wrong. As a family member, what do you do? What do you do when you see? The care isn't quite what you thought it should be. Yeah, you know, it's difficult. Uh, Nobody prepares you for your parents or your grandparents getting old. Uh, So a lot of people are navigating this for the first time, and uh, nobody wants to believe that their loved one is is being neglected or abused. Uh, You know, the best advice I can give people is if you have a loved one in a nursing home or you uh, are thinking about admitting somebody to a nursing home, uh, be present. Uh, Try to be there as much as possible. I know that's not always easy, uh, but be present, be an advocate. And if you see something that is concerning, uh, something uh, that you suspect is uh, neglect or abuse, don't wait. Uh, You know, act immediately. Um, You know, uh, there's different things you can do. Obviously, you want to document your concerns. Uh, If you, for example... Uh, you arrive at the facility and your loved one has unexplained bruising or an injury of unknown origin or something of that nature, Uh, you know, take a photograph, uh, make uh, a complaint. Uh, Every facility is required to have a nursing home administrator who is statutorily required to oversee the facility and to ensure that the facility is complying with the state and federal regulations. Uh, Find out who that person is. Get their email address. Uh, Send them written complaints. Uh, You know, if it's uh, the issue is severe enough, uh, make a complaint with the Department of Health. Uh, The Department of Health, uh, when they receive a complaint, they do what's called a complaint survey where they go into the facility uh, unannounced, uh, anonymously, and they investigate the complaint. Uh, You know, they do it in a way uh, that, you know, won't, disclose uh, or reveal who made the complaint. Um, you know, the facility may be able to put two and two together, but generally they're going to come in and they're going to, you know, um, investigate the complaint. They're going to pull uh, different residents' charts. Uh, they're going to see what's going on. And ultimately they might cite the facility. Uh, you know, also, uh, you know, make sure that you uh, take advantage of the Pennsylvania Department of Aging. Uh, they're a great resource. They also have a... Uh, 24-7 hotline where you can report abuse. Uh, they will connect you with local agencies that can uh, help you navigate some of these issues. Uh, so there's there's a lot to do, and obviously, uh, you know, it's a lot. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to an attorney. That never truer words were spoken because um, these cases are handled on a contingent fee basis. If there is no recovery in 
then you pay no fee. And so there's, if you believe in your heart of hearts that there's something here, then maybe there is, and there's no cost to you until the matter is resolved to your satisfaction. So no harm, no foul. Um, And to give Manny Manuel his props, we started the show with Manuel, you know, saying, well, what about the the at home nursing uh, industry yeah, it's, has it affected it's, any of this at all? Yeah, and and I want to say that one of the very first seven figure cases that um, I resolved was for a family whose loved one was getting at home care. The it was a and there's there was a there is and was a whole industry built up about at home care, um, and they sent in. Uh, caretakers to the family um, without doing proper background checks of the caretakers. No vetting of the caretakers. It was no vetting. It was insufficient, let's put it that way. And um, somebody came into the home who had a drug abuse problem um, and a criminal history, and they actually ended up stealing, attempting to steal money from the family and in doing so murdered the, the wife of the person he was caring for. Um, and this gentleman went to jail. Um, he's uh, serving life in prison in Pennsylvania. But we believe that the nursing home company that put him there bore the responsibility for those actions because of their failure to do a proper background check. This was cutting edge. We're talking over 20 years ago. I was going to ask how long ago was this? Yeah, yeah, this was a while ago. And um, I brought the claim against the nursing home uh, facility that put the caretaker in there, and they fought us tooth and nail to the very end. We we really had to um, you talk about trying to get records. It was mm. impossible. Um, but, you know, through depositions and subpoenas, we proved our case, um, and that case ultimately resolved for um, something in excess of seven figures. Good for you. So, you know, whether it's a nursing home facility or an a in-home care facility, Dan and my Philly lawyers stand ready to help you. Give us a call, 215-227-2727, the number for all things legal in Philly. Um, This is an area that folks, I think, are going to begin to experience more and more problems because they're not paying these people enough. I was getting ready to say that. They don't make enough money, do they? They're not paying the caretakers enough. They're understaffed and they're overworked. And that's why they're understaffed? Because of the salaries, you believe, and benefits, and therefore? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of both. It's a profit business. It is Mm -hmm. a for-profit business. So is it you get what you pay for? Do you find that that's a common problem, Dan? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the biggest issues. You know, these uh, facilities, they're often run by large chains, um, you know, so the, the owners are operating multiple facilities, and, you know, they, at the end of the day, are looking at their bottom line. And when you're in an industry where that, you know, impacts the well-being of, you know, uh, one of, you know, a vulnerable population, that's that's a problem. And so, and that's, you know, uh, that's where the understaffing issues come in. And, and you see a lot of uh, corporate issues in these cases, uh, management fees, consulting fees pay, being paid to related companies uh, where they can't, you know, uh, explain what services are actually being provided. Uh, so there, there's a whole corporate component to these cases that really requires a lot of work from the attorney. And oftentimes it's not the individual that we're going after, but it's the corporation behind them. It's not the nurse. It's not the CNA. It's because they were understaffed 
and uh, asked to do more than they could possibly the big do. Guys. All right, folks, we're out of time, as always is the case. We'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.